MSW Media. News was wearing Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. Today, Bill Barr testifies before the House Judiciary Committee. The Trump administration files new reasons to block Mazars from handing his financial documents to the grand jury in the Vance case. And the reasons are ridiculous. It appears Trump has fabricated the story that the Yankees asked him to throw out the first pitch on August 15th. The Republican coronavirus bill includes money for new FBI headquarters that will benefit Trump personally. Peter Strzok is writing a book about the Russia investigation. Don Jr.'s Twitter is temporarily suspended for spreading disinformation about hydroxychloroquine. And our friend Maya Wiley is eyeing a run for New York City mayor. I'm your host, A.G. We have a big show for you today. Up front, I'll be speaking to former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig about the bar testimony to the House Judiciary today. I'm frankly surprised he showed up. I thought it would be, uh, I'm too busy with coronavirus. Um, but also, we'll be speaking to Supreme Court expert Steve Vladek about Trump's filing in the Manhattan DA Mazar's Trump financial documents case, the one that got kicked back down to the lower courts from the Supreme Court. And Jordan and I will go over headlines from under the radar. And of course, we will have the good news block for you. Buckle up. It is time for Hot Notes. Hot notes. Okay, everybody. So the lead today, obviously, is Barr's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee. There were some standout moments, and joining me today to discuss them is former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks for joining me today. Ag, thank you for having me. I, I guess when you use the term "standout," that that could be on the on the good end or the bad end, right? Like the, there were there were standout kids in my high school who were really smart, um, and that applies to some of what we saw today. But there were also kids in my high school who were really not that smart, and I think some of what we saw today also falls under that header. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of the word infamous, we'll call them in standout moments. Right. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about yours, but I'd like to go yep. over a couple that really struck me as important. And I've got some clips here. First, mm -hmm. let's listen to Representative Jayapal asking Bill Barr why he responded with federal agents in Portland with the Black Lives Matters protesters, but not in Michigan when white supremacists charged the state capitol with long guns demanding freedom from masks, I guess. Yep. Hold on. Let's listen yep. to this clip. Apparently, the president believes that you can be activated to implement the president's agenda and dominate American people exercising First Amendment rights if they're protesting against him. But let's look at how you respond when the protesters are supporters of the president. On two separate occasions, after President Trump tweeted, liberate Michigan, to subvert stay-home orders to protect the public health of people in Michigan. Protesters swarmed the Michigan Capitol carrying guns, some with swastikas, Confederate flags, and one even with a dark-haired doll with a noose around its neck. Are you aware that these protesters called for the governor to be lynched, shot, and beheaded? No. You're not aware of that? I was not aware of that. Major protests in Michigan. You're the attorney general 
and you didn't know that the protesters called for the governor to be lynched, shot, and beheaded. So well, obviously you couldn't be concerned about that. Well, there are a lot you, of protests around the United States, and uh, on June Attorney 1st, General I was Barr, worried about the District of Columbia, which is federal. In certain parts of the country, you're very aware of those, but when protesters with guns and swastikas I'm very, and I am aware of, flag, of excuse me, Mr. In Barr, this is my time, and I control it. You are aware of certain kinds of protesters, but in Michigan, when protesters carry guns and Confederate flags and swastikas and call for the governor of Michigan to be beheaded and shot and lynched, somehow you're not aware of that. Somehow you didn't know about it, so you didn't send federal agents in to do to the president's supporters what you did to the president's protesters. In fact, you didn't you didn't put pepper balls on those protesters. So the point I'm trying to make here, Mr. Barr, that I think is very important for the country to understand is that there is a real discrepancy in how you react as the attorney general, the top cop in this country, when white men with swastikas storm a government building with guns, there is no need for the president to, quote, activate you because they're getting the president's personal agenda done. But when black people and people of color protest police brutality, systemic racism, and the president's very own lack of response to those critical issues, then you forcibly remove them with armed federal officers, pepper bombs, because they are considered terrorists by the president. You take an aggressive approach to Black Lives Matter protests, but not to right-wing extremists threatening to lynch a governor if it's for the Trump's, if it's for the president's benefit. Did I get it right, Mr. Barr? I have responsibility for the federal government, and the White House is the seat of the Mr. executive Mr. Barr, let branch, me just make it clear: you are the, supposed the to Michigan authorities the can handle of the United Michigan States of America, not violate people's First Amendment mm -hmm. rights. You are supposed to uphold democracy and secure equal justice under the law, not violently dismantle certain protesters based on the president's personal agenda. So you've worked for both the state and the feds, and I, I understand the attorney general here is trying to say that the Michigan situation wasn't a federal building where the courthouse in Portland is a federal building. But what about the hypocrisy of forcing mayors and governors to accept his help, quote unquote, but ignoring this kind of armed protest when it's for the president? You know, when it's people protesting against the president, he sends in the troops when they're protesting against people who don't like the president. Yeah. He, he didn't even know about it. He didn't even remember the situation, as a matter of fact. And there were death threats made on the Michigan governor. Right. It, it, it was vintage Bill Barr in this sense. Everything he does comes out one way, comes out wh whatever way is consistent with Donald Trump's campaign and talking points and tweets. And, and he is willing to just contort the law or try to thread any needle to get there. Now, look, there is a distinction that that's that's not completely illegitimate between federal property and, and non-federal property. But that's about where where he, he stops getting credit. I mean, first of all, what's going on in Portland is far more than just defensive. I mean, the federal government certainly has the right to secure and protect buildings. And I agree with him. You can't just I agree when he said you can't just sort of sit back and allow a federal courthouse to be overrun. But what's happening in Portland goes well beyond that. You have unmarked, mm. unidentified agents, law enforcement agents. Uh, we'll take them at their word that they are law enforcement agents, which is dangerous uh, in several respects. 
um, clearly in some instances using excessive force and and reportedly in several instances making arrests without probable cause. And I wanted to hear someone drill down on that a, a little more with with the attorney general and say, are you OK with federal agents interacting with the public in unidentified uniforms without identifying their agency or themselves? Are there any investigations that you're conducting of use of excessive force? If excessive force is used, was used, would you investigate? And same question um, with respect to arrests uh, made without probable cause. And by the way, you know you have Barr so easy to read. He must be the world's worst poker player because, he, I mean, <laughs> his tone when he gets a question that he knows is in trouble on just is like when you question an eight-year-old on if they stole a cookie from the cookie jar. And he launched into this bit about, well, he's not so sure he would call it an arrest. You know, they were just um, detained and questioned. It's like, listen, that's an arrest, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're in, if you're in, you know, if you're, because I think it was uh, Ted Lou who was like, don't you have to have that specific person right. being, you know, have probable cause for them specifically doing something? He's like, well, in these kind of situations, yeah. it can be by proxy <laughs> and uh, folks with near you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you, you, you can just kind of arrest as long as it's a person standing close to a person who did something. That's fine. Um, that's sarcasm. OK. Yeah, I know. It, just for the listener. Also, I want to mark that. Yeah. The, the, and the sarcasm, too. I think it was McClintock who, who was like trying to say that if there's one violent act in all of the United States in relation to the Black Lives Matter protests, that makes them all violent protests because you can't like be kind of pregnant or you oh, can't be yeah, like he yeah, was, I, right. remember, I that part. he was giving that, you know, you either are or you aren't. Yeah. I mean, the pregnancy, the pregnancy analogy you're either are or aren't is one that gets made sometimes accurately, sometimes not, but often not. I mean, in all of these instances, or you could have some acting a certain way and some acting another way. Like that's real life. The preg I think he was pleased with himself with the little pregnancy analogy, but it just completely did not apply to that situation. So no, good job. He's a douche. Uh, all right. Another. <laughs> Your words. <laughs> not mine. Correct. Uh, the views of AG expressed on this show are not the views of Ellie Honig or his affiliates. Listen, it's, it says with swearing right on the uh, promo. So, you know, I, I, yeah. it does. Um, OK, another standout moment for me was when Barr was asked about his interference in the sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone. Let's listen to that clip. Well, Barr, you're expecting the American people to believe that you did not do what Trump wanted you to do when you changed that sentencing recommendation and lowered it for Roger Stone. You think the American people don't understand that you were carrying out Trump's? I was not, I, I had not discussed my sentencing recommendation with anyone at the White House or anyone, president, exactly or anyone outside the, the department. What the president wanted you to do. And that's what you did. No. Let me ask you, do you think it's fair? Do you think it is fair for a 67-year-old man to be sent to prison for seven to nine years? It was in accordance with the sentencing. No, it was not. You just said that it was, and your line prosecutors will testify that it was also. Now, I'm going to move on from that. So he actually responded with a question to this question, saying, is it fair for a 67-year-old man to go to prison for nine years? Um, which I guess means in 20 years, I'm in luck. I can commit crimes freely. I'm going to be rich, Ellie. I don't know about you. But hey, it seems if you're 67 or older. And by the way, wasn't that how old Hillary was when, when they wanted to lock her up? Anyway. Um, <laughs> 
but that I thought that that was like, uh, you know, that the, that his own prosecutor's sentencing recommendation. He slid in at the end that his own prosecutor's sentencing recommendation was not within the sentencing guidelines, but it was, wasn't it? It, it was. Uh, he, I think, he maybe disagreed with how they calculated the guidelines, but I mean, yeah, th- that was ridiculous. So, first of all. What I wanted to see Barr question on about the Roger Stone case and the Michael Flynn case, and and this happened a couple times, but I don't think it was quite forceful enough, was when else have you ever done this? Name another case other than Roger Stone where you overruled – not just overruled, by the way – overruled the approved sentencing recommendations of your your line prosecutors. They put in a memo properly approved through the Justice Department asking for a sentence, and then – he overruled them. Where else have you done that in your out of the tens of thousands of cases that have come under your jurisdiction? DOJ charges about 60,000, over 60,000 cases a year. How many others have you done? that? Mm-hmm. He'd have to say none. I mean, right. And then same thing with same thing with uh, with Michael Flynn. How many times have you moved to dismiss a case after <laughs> uh, after a guilty plea? So I would have liked to have seen that. And the thing is, w- William Barr must think we're stupid because we're not just talking about. He wants to take every little thing he did and isolate it. But the problem is there's a broader pattern of conduct that we've all seen. I mean, if if this was something Bill Barr routinely did, if he went around monitoring DOJ cases and said, look, if you have a case involving an older person and and um, a nonviolent crime, I want to see about it and I want to review your sentencing recommendation. Okay, you or I might disagree or agree with that, but at least it's not flagrantly political. But when it's only Roger Stone. Mm Um, we're not idiots. We can see what's going on. Yeah, and then he just kept shouting, the judge agrees with me, the judge agrees with me, because, because <laughs> her, she, which, by the way, she didn't come out and say, I agree with a lower sentencing recommendation, and therefore yep. I'm only going to sentence 40 months. No, she weighed 8,000 different factors um, right. that I guess Bill Barr's simple mind is unable to grasp. But uh, just because she... Yep gave a 40-month sentence on a seven- to nine-year recommendation, she actually said, I am going by the original sentencing recommendation. Uh, However, I'm sentencing 40 months, not in concurrence with a a lower recommended sentence, but just in how she viewed the sentencing should come out. Yeah, that was a point that I made and various other DOJ alums made on air publicly before this sentence came down. The consensus in our little world of legal analysts, former prosecutors, was that the judge was not going to sentence to seven to nine years, that she would I, – I, I predicted on air – I think I said four years or three years, and it came out right in the middle of that. Um, and just because – look, it happens all the time as a prosecutor that you go, here's the sentencing range. We've calculated it. And we think a sentence is within that. But the judge, there's cases where it's obvious the judge just isn't going to go that high. It doesn't mean Bill Barr was right. And what the, the the member of Congress said that I think was right, I think the response when he was yelling, oh, the judge agreed with me, was no, no, no. It, but it's about the process here. It's about the fact that your own people went out and made this recommendation properly vetted and approved within DOJ. And then you publicly undermine them on this case and this case only. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, it, <laughs> wait, but it gets better. It gets better. Yeah. Because then came Cicilline. And he asked a very simple question about whether it's appropriate for a president to accept or solicit foreign interference in an election. Let's listen to that clip. Is it ever appropriate, sir, for the president to solicit or accept foreign assistance in an election? It depends what kind of assistance. Is it ever appropriate for the president or presidential candidate to accept 
or solicit foreign assistance of any kind in his or her election? No, it's not appropriate. Okay, I'm sorry you had to struggle with that one, Mr. Attorney General. Ellie, is it a crime to accept or solicit foreign assistance in an election? And why did the attorney general have such a hard time with this very simple question? It is. I've uh, cited it many times. And by the way, this law has been one of the um, most improperly or weakly applied by everybody from Robert Mueller to Bill Barr. Um, Look, I thought Robert Mueller should have given much more serious consideration to charging people over the Trump Tower meeting Mm -hmm. um, who were trying to get foreign election. Junior. Junior should have been charged with this crime. Yeah. Junior and others. I mean, look, the law says it is a crime to solicit, which means ask a foreign national for a thing of value in connection with an election. And I guess if if you want to parse that, where, where the defenders of this behavior try to jump in and say, yeah, well, but but campaign dirt is not a thing of value. You know, getting in, in the in the in the um, you know, getting dirt on Hillary Clinton is not a thing of value. Getting dirt on Joe Biden in the Ukraine context is not a thing of value to which I respond. And I have to give credit here to, to Joe Lockhart, who's a friend of mine, former Clinton um, uh, cabinet sec- or excuse me, press secretary. He said, look, what if they donated a used van? Uh, what if a foreign national donated a used van? For free. It's worth $3,000, but you could use it to drive around and get lawn signs. Would that be a thing of value? Of course. I mean, nobody would argue that that's not a thing of value. But so how how about oppo research? I mean, dirt on an opponent is infinitely more valuable than that. There are firms that exist who get paid money for the entire reason of gathering opposition research. It's worth money. People have said to me, well, how would you prove that up at trial? I said, I would just call an American oppo research firm. And I would say, I don't know, if, if a if a fill-in-the-blank type of uh, of campaign hired you, how much would you generally charge? And they would go, I don't I don't know what it would be, six fig well into the six mm-hmm. figures. So you go, well, there you go. There's your thing of value. Yeah, I know. We were even like, how about the value of the paper it's printed on? Can we do anything? Can we, like, where do right, you draw exactly. line? Um, this was also another example of why Barr is such a bad witness. I, I can't help but look at witnesses through through the lens of, of if this was a trial. And if he was my witness and there was a break, I would say, listen, I know you're doing your best here. And I know they're getting under your skin a little bit. But your reactions are 180 degrees different depending on who's asking you the questions. And you got to knock that off. You just got to play it straight for both mm-hmm. sides here. And that's in a criminal trial because I've had that happen where if it's if it's my witness as a prosecutor, they want to please me and they want to argue with everything the defense lawyer says. I would sometimes say, look, your job is not to contest everything the defense lawyer says. Your job is to listen to the question and answer truthfully. Don't worry about if they like it or I like it or not. You know, And, and Barr was almost... You could almost see him. I mean, Cicilline asked him a very straightforward question. Is this okay? And the first time through, he did his whole, uh, depends. I don't know. It depends, depends on you know. what and, and kind. Then, yeah. And Cicilline did, did a good prosecutor's trick there. He just followed up and asked it again. And Cicilline was like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Barr was like, yeah, I guess. I guess mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And I think that that sort of gives a little credence to the fact that, that Barr is uh, covering for the president. Um what a weird exchange that was. And now, finally, let's get to your bread and butter here. Yes. Um, let's listen to uh, Swalwell on the commutation of Roger Stone's sentence being a crime as Barr testified to it being before during his confirmation hearing. Let's take a listen. And you responded, no, that would be a crime. Is that right? Yes, I said that. You said a crime. You didn't say it'd be wrong. You didn't say it'd be unlawful. You said it'd be a crime. And when you said that, 
that a president swapping a pardon to silence a witness would be a crime, you were promising the American people that if you saw that, you would do something about it. Is that right? That's right. Now, Mr. Barr, are you investigating Donald Trump for commuting the prison sentence of his longtime friend and political advisor, Roger Stone? No. Why not? Why should I? Well, let's talk about that. Mr. Stone was convicted by a jury on seven counts of lying in the Russia investigation. He bragged that he lied to save Trump's butt. But why would he lie? Your prosecutors, Mr. Barr, told a jury that Stone lied because the truth looked bad for Donald Trump. And what truth is that? Well, Donald Trump denied in written answers to the Russia investigators that he talked to Roger Stone during the time Roger Stone was in contact with agents of a Russian influence operation. There's evidence that Trump and Stone indeed did, did talk during that time. You would agree that it's a federal crime to lie under oath, is that right? Yes. It's a crime for you, it's a crime for me, and it's certainly a crime for the President of the United States, is that right? Yes. So if Donald Trump lied to the Mueller investigators, which you agree would be a crime, then Roger Stone was in a position to expose Donald Trump's lies. Are you familiar with the December 3rd, 2018 tweet where Donald Trump said Roger Stone had shown guts by not testifying against him? No, I'm not familiar with that. You don't read the president's tweets? No. So there you have it. A really well laid out, here's a fact, isn't it true? Yes. Here's a fact, isn't it true? Yes. Then if all of that shit is true, how can you look me in the face and, you know, are you going to investigate Roger Stone? Why should I? It's just a very, very interesting, uh, I think, exchange. Yeah. Look, to all the uh, law students out there or anyone thinking about going to law school, this is how you do it. And, and I, I do want to say it looks like Eric Swalwell may have read my CNN column because I suggested almost verbatim this exact line of questioning. But but look, I, one of the things that struck out that stuck out to me is that the, the, the later you got in the hearing, as you go down the seniority list to the more junior members, the better the questioning got, generally speaking. Um, and what you early on, you would see people asking the making these speeches or these long-winded questions with eight different subparts that Barr just kind of could blow off. But what, what Swalwell did here was take one fact at a time in undeniable fashion. And look, if you just say to William Barr, you interfered with the Stone case because you were trying to help one of Trump's buddies, one of his political allies, he's just going to go, no, I didn't. You, mm -hmm. don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. But if you break it down this way, if you say, you said during your uh, uh, confirmation that it would be a crime to exchange a pardon um, for for leniency. Excuse me, exchange a pardon in order for silence. You said that would be bribery. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. I mean, you can't dodge that. He did it. It was on video. Okay. Did you see the president's tweets praising Roger Stone for staying strong and having guts? No. You know, I mean, Barr tried. To, <laughs> he tried to pretend he didn't see those tweets, but he yet yet he was very well read on other topics. But, you know, then you show it to him. He'll go, no. And you go, okay, well, I'm going to show it to you now. I wanted to see more people do that when he said I didn't see it. Have it with you. Put it on the screen. Okay, here it is. Okay. And then, you know, were you aware that Roger Stone made these comments about I'm paraphrasing, but essentially I could have turned on him and I didn't. And I expect leniency. <laughs> Again, he probably because he's sneaky, he'd probably say no. And then you put it up and you go, now do you see this? OK, good, good. So given that, are you at least investigating? Or would you? Right? I'm not asking you to. And, and he was very he was very uh, really arrogant bar. He just said, why, should why I? would I? No. I mean, why should I just laid it out for yeah, you? Why because you if you just learned about these tweets then aren't you shocked? Aren't you as shocked as all of us are? You know, right. 
now that now that I've shown you these tweets, which you're pretending not to have seen before, um, now are you going to do the right thing? So, um, yeah, I mean, look, th- there was a lot of that, and and but that was really good to see. That was a good, um, that was a really strong moment of cross-examination. Yeah, I mean, he denied seeing a lot of Trump's tweets, especially the one where, you know, he wasn't happy with Stone's sentencing recommendation. And then all of a sudden, hours later, there was a new one. He's like, no, that was the night before. And it was at one thirty, and I slept. And then I had to. And you're like, all right, look, he's like, here's the order of fucking operations. OK. Um, and it, it, yeah, yeah. it just sort of slipped by it. So those are my um, I mean, th- there this um it was this was full of fire this entire hearing i'm tired after listening to it um but i mean those were my top takeaways yeah i i thought i i agree with those um but i will tell you um there was another issue that i wanted to get i wish got a little more attention and i think um representative val demings and i think jonah goose um if i'm saying his name right um uh both raised it and i give them credit for that which is Barr needed to be um, confronted a little more aggressively on his comments about ma- mail-in ballot mm. fraud and election mm-hmm. fraud. Um, and, and the two of them did a really good job with that. But I, I wanted to see uh, a, a little more – just be, be more of a theme overall because to me that's so dangerous, right? He has made comments over and over, and he can't deny these comments, that there's going to be or there could be massive fraud and counterfeiting. And when, when he was making those comments in NPR, they asked him – um, the interviewer asked him, well, how do, do you have evidence of that? And and Barr's response was, and I quote, no, it's obvious. I mean, OK. And so I wanted to see somebody say, what specific evidence do you have to support your theory that there could or will be or has been massive election interference? And then I would have followed up with this fact. And he can't run from this. Again, I keep using this number. But of the 60,000 cases that your Justice Department brought in 2019, how many of them had to do with voter fraud or mail-in fraud or ballot fraud? And the answer, it's a little hard to tell, but if you look at the Justice Department's website, they publish their own statistics and they break down the categories of crimes so small to like, including like corruption relating to union benefits. I mean, they list categories of crimes that had literally three or four cases. They don't even list a category for election fraud, voter fraud, ballot fraud, anything like that. And And if you Google, you'll find one case, but it actually doesn't even have to do with with mail-in ballot fraud. So just put it to him that way. Make him admit that there's just no body of evidence that this exists because this is dangerous to me. If Trump's going to try to fight the 2020 election, he, he's going to have to have Barr. Barr is going to be a necessary and willing accomplice to that. And Barr has signaled in the way that he and Trump like to signal to each other that he's in. Mm-hmm. I'm in for it. If you and. And I wanted to see that called out a little more aggressively. Though, again, Demings and Nagoose, I think, did a good job in raising it. Yeah, and I think uh, Hakeem Jeffries even sort of drove the point home when he asked Barr about whether Trump would accept the election results. And right. and Barr was like, well, if they're clear. And yeah. boy, talk about leaving a big loophole open. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and uh, of course, somebody's like, what do you mean clear? He's like, oh, don't you remember the year 2000? Yeah. When they fucking stole the election. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Is that your example? Is that your example? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I mean, and that's why the, the, the capper question I wanted to see him ask was, do will you commit here as we sit here right now that you will not be any part of any effort to challenge an election result unless you have specific proof 
that there was illegal conduct that would have changed the outcome. Yeah, and he was he was asked that, and his he could only just I'll follow the law. I'll follow the law. Yeah, I mean, oh, your law, the one that you're going to create when you whip up an OLC memo, that law, right? I mean, he's so bad on the law. I mean, if you look at the, for example, the Michael Flynn uh, memo where he justifies throwing out the Flynn case, I mean, he's just making stuff up. He's just (laughs) completely distorting all these important legal concepts. He he doesn't care. I mean, look, I know lawyers are good at bending things, but but you're the attorney general. I mean, play it straight once in a while. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, I appreciate you uh, talking to me about this hearing today. I feel better. I feel better. I got a little bit of my beans out. I think I need to go on a walk. I feel better. (laughs) Listen, I'm glad. It was therapeutic, I think, for both of us. So, (laughs) All right. Uh, Anyway, I do appreciate you coming on. State, federal prosecutor, uh, and uh, analyst. Um, is it, are you MSNBC or CNN? No, CNN. CNN, legal <laughs> analyst. Thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, Thanks for having Ellie me. Honig. Hey, oh, by the way, where can people follow you? Oh, uh, Ellie, uh, listen, one of the nice things about having a name like Ellie Honig is there's only one of me on Twitter, <laughs> E-L-I-E-H-O-N-I-G. Uh, there's no the real Ellie Honig, Ellie Honig 14, just me. <laughs> Real Ellie owning 14. Got it. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back with uh, with ooh news from under the radar. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. You know it. I know it. It's the best mattress ever. And, uh, you know, because recently I've been having a variety of sleep problems, trouble falling asleep, tossing and turning, anxiety. Uh, waking up repeatedly, I thought it was me. I thought it was the anxiety. But it turned out I had a trash mattress, so I got a new one. It's the best mattress ever. Jordan got one. It's She says it's the best mattress she's ever slept on. You know Mandy and Joelle have one. They say it's like sleeping on a cloud. And here's why. They understand that you're unique, and they customize your mattress to fit you in the way that you sleep best. They created a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete online, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep patterns to the perfect mattress for you. Uh, if you like a mattress that's soft or firm or if you sleep on your side or if you're asleep on your back or your stomach uh, or if you sleep really hot, with Helix, there is a mattress for each and everyone's unique taste. Like me, I was matched to the Helix Midnight because I like my bed medium firm and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. But you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was actually awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans and take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you with a customized mattress that would give you the best night's sleep of your sleep of your life um, they have a 10-year warranty so you get to try it out for 100 nights as well risk-free and they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it but you will and now helix is offering up to 200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash daily beans that's helix h-e-l-i-x sleep.com slash daily beans for up to 200 off hey everybody welcome back it is time for headlines from under the radar with jordan coburn jordan how are you i'm doing good or i'm all right actually <laughs> I missed your live face. I wish I, I hate that we can't like these dickheads who don't wear masks are extending our time apart and it's making me mad. Yeah, I agree. I miss you too. It fucking sucks. And yeah, today just today would be a great day for us to be able to be together in person because of what a shit show the hearing was. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad we got it out of the way in the A block so yeah. that I can like clear my mind, like get some sage in my brain and like <sighs> Okay. Hex the the, the, the the demon sperm or whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Clean it out. Um all right. So you you want to start with uh, a coronavirus update, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's 
not looking good in many, many parts of the country. Florida reported a record one-day rise in their cases of deaths on Tuesday, and then cases in Texas, they're now over 400,000 in number, and it's just, you know, really, I mean, it's just really scary. It's like, there's this mindset strictly because Americans can't seem to understand the concept that just because you're sick of this, that doesn't mean it's going anywhere, and it's 100% not going anywhere, and there's different spikes that are rising up in areas that we didn't see them before, and there are areas that were doing really well, like California in the beginning, and now they're just like, we're not killing it here in Texas, Arizona, California, Florida, all four of those states have seen really bad increases, and it's causing all of these steps to be rolled back that were being taken initially to start to reopen, and it's it has to happen. It's what has to happen. It's just like Florida, they had 191 coronavirus deaths in the last 24 hours. That's their single day uh, highest rise since the start of the epidemic. And then Texas, they're adding more than 6,000 new cases on Monday. Their total's at 401,477. This is all according to Reuters. And California, Florida, and New York they have more than 400,000 total cases. And then Georgia, which, you know, borders Florida, they have 54 more deaths on Tuesday, and their total cases are now more than 175,000. So these are just massive, massive numbers seeing across that we're seeing across the entire United States. And it's causing people to start canceling things. Very predictable. I mean, yeah, like Trump last week canceled his party's nominating convention in Jacksonville. That was supposed to happen in late August baseball's you know changing their already amended schedule of games after a bunch of Miami Marlins tested positive and it's it's just really not looking great we're already starting to see another shortage a round of shortages of ICU supplies uh, PPE you know refrigerator trucks for dead bodies it's so morbid and it's not over and it's gonna keep happening if people don't wear their fucking mask yeah, and and I, you know, I I wish someone had said back in February that this is just going to be elongated and more people are going to die if we don't shut down for six to eight weeks. Oh wait, you're we did say that. That's <laughs> yeah, what we said. yeah. Someone in my family said that exact thing, and I was like, she's like, I would have so rather just it it been like mandated that everybody stayed home and i guess maybe what she was talking about was a nationwide mandate yeah and we talked about it yesterday with andy slavitt saying look you need to ban interstate travel and intercounty travel you need to stay the fuck home for six to eight weeks nobody gets to go to work except for maybe 10 percent of americans uh like the very very essential workers and wear a mask and socially distance stick in your bubble and just do that for six to eight weeks yeah the economy is going to take a hit yeah for the first three weeks we're going to continue to see numbers to rise because of you know science and the lag and all that other shit but we'll have an excess after that of ppe and excess of testing we'll be able to nail things down we'll get it under control and uh, you know we'll have you know have hotels open up so people can isolate away from their families if they have symptoms or test positive uh, but no we would rather ride the fence and be assholes if, until there's a vaccine mm-hmm. which most people you know with, which I'm afraid a lot of people aren't going to take anyway then just get it over with in six to eight weeks like yep. like pretty much every other country did god do you know how many anti-vaxxers are going to come out of the woodworks that we didn't know even existed we're going to lose so many friends and family members once this vaccine comes out 
Because the last time that we had a, you know, a set of vaccines that were required was when, you know, pretty much when we were kids and it was required to go to school or whatever. That time has long come and gone for most of us. Now we're going to be adults required to have them. And I just am not looking forward to finding out which of my friends are fucking idiots. Yeah, I don't even know if they'll be required um, like a flu vaccine. You know, I, who knows? Maybe in maybe in individual states, they'll require them or mandate them. But That's a like, good question. You know, I've already seen these these anti-vaxxers come out of the woodwork. People who weren't anti-vax before, they were fine with measles, mumps, and rubella, and whooping cough. But they're they're like, I don't trust Bill Gates is going to put a chip in my body as I tweet from my tracking device iPhone that I carry with me all the day. Right. Um, it's just the dumbest yeah. fucking shit I've ever heard. I believe in all the validity of all of the vaccines, but how are you going to sit there and say that you're more willing to see the merit in a vaccine that protects against a disease that is hardly present anymore because of said vaccines? But then when there's people actually dying and you're not able to go to work and the economy is completely tanked and everything is fucked, that's the one that you're going to be like, I don't know. I don't know about that one. What? Mm. Well, you know, <sighs> Jeff Bezos. Right, right. Of course, anyway. of course. Yes, it's a Bezos Gates <laughs> fucking yeah, yeah. Um, They're all in cahoots, right? Hmm. Well, I get my check every Thursday. <laughs> yeah, um, right, yeah. To your your paid protester. <laughs> yeah, for pretending <laughs> that vaccines are awesome. Um, yeah. dem- you're gonna hear. D- be prepared to hear. I'm not taking the Democrat vaccine. Be be prepared to hear that. Um, <laughs> yes, it's gonna happen. A literal red pill and blue pill situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there'll be a Trump vaccine and there'll be a Biden vaccine. Watch, you know, just watch. <laughs> um, they fucking will. The Trump vaccine will come out in October and it'll suck and kill a lot of people because he pushed it through too fast without the proper testing and also probably had it line his pockets with money. And then there'll be the Biden vaccine that comes out mid next year. And no, I'm not taking the Biden vaccine. I took the Trump vaccine. Yeah, you know, ah, fuck off. Yes, yeah, so you can get a bleach boost if you wish on the Trump vaccine. Yeah, <laughs> sir, so you're due for your bleach booster on your Trump vaccine. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, All right. Well, more good news. Uh, I'm kidding. Under intense White House pressure, White House pressure, Senate Republicans agreed, uh, although a lot of them didn't want to, to uh, Monday to allocate 1.75 billion with a B dollars in their coronavirus relief bill uh, toward the construction of a new D.C. headquarters for the FBI. Uh, top Senate Republicans immediately began distancing themselves from this provision after it was made public, saying they weren't sure why the White House repeatedly insisted on putting it in the bill. Really? You work in Washington and you don't know that? I fucking know why they insisted putting it in the bill. Uh, it's because, you know, if you think about, um, like, okay, you know we've talked about this before. The GSA and the... the, the um, the inspector general was investigating meetings that Trump took with Emily Murphy, the head of the GSA, because he wanted to, uh, the FBI headquarters was going to move into the suburbs, but that was going to free up the FBI headquarters in downtown D.C. to become a hotel and be developed by a hotelier, which would, uh, you know, compete with Trump's uh, yep. international hotel right there. And so that's sort of complicating um, these efforts. And while there's a wide agreement in both parties that the FBI does need new headquarters, Trump's decision shortly after taking office to cancel that advanced plan to build a suburban campus uh, really, like, confused congressional leaders. So it confused them then. It's confusing them now. 
they should just give me a call because I'll fucking tell them what's up, you know, and I, I just don't understand. But Horowitz apparently launched an investigation into the decision making that led to the cancellation of the original plan. But that investigation remains ongoing more than a year later. Um, and that's a, that's the DOJ inspector general. And, you know, I wonder who's sitting on that. Um, at the, you know, there's a, there's a few inspectors general reports from the Department of Justice, including the FBI New York field office, uh, the FBI headquarters. So Trump pushed Republicans to put almost two billion dollars, two billion dollars in the coronavirus relief package for the FBI headquarters to help his hotel uh, personally. Um, they also included money for like F-35s, some defense spending shit that I guess they've always dreamed of. So fuck the Republicans. I'm sorry. I'm mad today. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, they want to take away $600 a week uh, unemployment, extended unemployment benefits because they think it disincentivizes people to work. Right. No, what disincentivizes people to work right now is that there are no fucking jobs and there's 50 million unemployed people, uh, which also pisses me off when people are like who are these protesters don't they have jobs nobody has jobs right now asshole right. like what the fuck not to I'm mention sorry. the fact that outside no please please fuck you i yield my time <laughs> i think outside of the pandemic too it's just the uh, you know there's a giant existential wall of dread that the working class is constantly banging their head against and has very little chance of making it up and over said wall. There's one ladder that only allows a few people to make it up and over that wall. And then when they get to the other side, some dipshit comes over and fucking kicks the ladder over like an asshole. And then everyone celebrates. And then everyone at the bottom sits there just being like, well, fuck, why am I even going to fucking do this shit? No one's looking out for me at all. And, and I have my other shit to take care of that, again, the state isn't helping me take care of. So outside of the pandemic, it's... It it is not, it's not even a question as to why people have you know on top of there there's that going on on top of all of the actual systemic reasons that make it virtually impossible you know for the people to like I said make it up an overset wall when they when they do try and it's just like it's just wall after wall after wall basically mm -hmm. and. And yeah, they 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 tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and then they cut your bootstraps off. Right. Uh, so it's like it reminds me of Anchorman when he's on the ladder trying to get out of the bear cage, you know, and and he gets his arm torn off, and he's like, "This is getting to be goddamn ridiculous." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They want that exactly. They, they expect the resilience of of the of that man in the movie that's getting his yeah. limbs, or in Monty Python when he's getting all of his fucking limbs yeah. chopped off, and then he. <laughs> Still, I'm invincible. Yeah, it's like, hey, I didn't sign up for this, all right? I didn't sign up to fucking valiantly fight limbless for your fucking capitalist mm. society. But unfortunately, by being born here, you kind of do. And especially if you're a person of color, you extra do. And it's mm. truly near impossible given the resources that currently exist. And so I'm so sick of hearing that argument from Republicans that's just completely devoid of any sort of actual understanding of what it's like for the working class and especially for mm. working class people of color in this country. But yeah, it's... But we need more Navy planes. But we need more Navy planes. We need more defense spending uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Hey, but... Yay. We do have some relatively good news before yeah. the good news block, but I wanted to put these in the headlines under the radar. Jordan, what do you got? 
I got one and you got one. Yes, yes, I do. Peter Strzok, we know him very well. Not personally, we wish. Uh, Peter Strzok is writing a book. It's coming out September 8th, and it's called Compromised, colon, Counterintelligence and the Threats of Donald J. Trump. And it's being published by uh, Houghton? Houghton? How do you say that? H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Sorry, doesn't matter. Oh, um, Houghton, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. M- uh, Mifflin Harcourt Books and Media. And he said in a statement during uh, that announcement, quote, Russia has long regarded the United States as its main enemy, in quotes. And I spent decades trying to protect our country from their efforts to weaken and under minus and it's this is just a testament to what you know much of the focus of the book is going to be which is that trump is compromised by russia they are a consistent enemy and threat to our democracy and i'm really looking forward to reading this because you know he's just i mean to jog your memory if you forgot not you aj obviously (laughs) anybody anybody listening (laughs) um he he's just been so demonized for for so long for having the gall to have negative opinions about the biggest fucking idiot about that a criminal was ever yeah yeah that was ever <laughs> somehow able to slip his gooey disgusting body that's not a body image thing that's a comment on his personality into the fucking white house and i'm just in in awe of the resilience of all of these people and also it's it's like so much better to see a book from him than fucking john bolton so that'll be great yeah <laughs> Yeah, to hell with the Senate counterintelligence report, part five, volume five. I'm waiting for this counterintelligence report. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, And we will definitely be covering that. And then my little bit of uh, hee-hee-ha-ha news is that, you know, Trump said the other day, as soon as right about 10 minutes before Fauci was about to throw the first pitch out uh, in, in, in for, you know, Major League Baseball, uh, Trump said in, in his uh, coronavirus press conference, task force briefing, whatever, hate picnic rally, uh, that he's actually been invited to throw out the first pitch for the Yankees. Aren't they better? And it's going to be on August 15th. Well, apparently that shocked the Yankees and shocked everyone at the White House. And the reason it shocked everyone is because he was never invited to fucking do that. And so he he said the next day, I'm not going to do it. I'm busy with coronavirus. Um, Yeah. okay, But you were just golfing with Brett Favre, whatever. Uh, But the other little, you know, oh, I have a little bit of schadenfreude to go with it, but we'll do that in the good news block. So that's all of the news from Under the Radar. We will be right back for that. Actually, before that, we have a discussion with law, uh, law professor and host of the National Security Law Podcast, Steve Vladek. He's back to discuss with us the, di- the disposition of the Manhattan DA Mazar's subpoena, and it's good. So stay with us. Hey, friends. AG here. Earlier in the show, I talked about my Helix mattress. I talked about Jordans and Mandy's and everyone, everyone loves it and how it solved our sleep issues because it's the best mattress ever in the universe. Well, I'm excited to share with you that Helix has launched a new company called Allform, and they're going out of the bedroom into your living room to bring you amazing customizable furniture for the rest of your house. Allform makes beautiful sofas, chairs, and loveseats to your specifications and then delivers it directly to you with fast free shipping. You customize your own sofa using premium materials, but you do it at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. With Allform, you can pick your fabric and the color and the color and the finish of the legs and the size and the shape to make sure it's perfect for your, for your home. And the fabric is all spill stain and scratch resistant, so it's perfect for pod pets. 
Um, I picked out a three-seater sofa, customized it with whiskey-colored leather. I could have never had a leather couch with the cats, but I can now. And I've got a walnut leg finish and a chaise lounge on it. It comes matches my mid-century mod vibe perfectly. Came in a couple of days. I put it together myself. I absolutely love it. It's very roomy and modern. And normally, if you want to order a custom sofa, it takes weeks or months to arrive. Uh, and you need someone to assemble it uh, for you. That costs a lot of money. And then, of course, there's a a nine-hour delivery window from the freight company, but not with all form. They take three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools needed. Allform has gorgeous armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. And you can start small and add on if you move to a bigger house or your family grows. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. But you will love it. And they also have a forever warranty, literally a forever warranty. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'd like to uh, introduce University of Texas law professor, co-host of the National Security Law Podcast, self-proclaimed SCOTUS nerd, Steve Vladek. Steve, I'm so happy you agreed to speak with me today. Thanks for coming on. Happy to do it. Sorry for the uh, the background screaming of my uh, four and a half and two-year-olds. I absolutely love it. And I think it sort of grounds us in the reality that we're in. So Indeed. I do appreciate it as a matter of fact, because all I've got are snoring cats, which you cannot hear. I'm very jealous. <laughs> All right. So the reason I'm glad to have you here is because Trump has filed his brand new arguments in the Vance Manhattan DA Mazar's subpoena case. And as we know, this went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court told Trump his arguments against the subpoena were bullshit. Please try again in the lower courts. I'm paraphrasing. So this went back down to the district court where the judge gave Trump until yesterday to amend his bullshit complaint. And he has. Yep. So, Steve, what are Trump's new arguments <laughs> for why Mazar's new arguments <laughs> for why Mazar shouldn't hand over his financial records to Vance's grand jury? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's 16 pages, AG, but it really boils down to two very straightforward <laughs> claims, I guess. Um, the first is that the subpoena is overbroad in that it's mm. seeking more records than Vance uh, reasonably has a right to request, and then the, that could relate to the investigation. And the second is that the subpoena is harassment, um, which is you know deeply consistent, of course, with the president's Twitter feed. So, you know, 15 pages of rhetoric, two actual substantive claims. And frankly, H.G., I think neither of which have much of a chance on the merits, but I'm not sure at this point that matters. No. And and first of all, the harassment thing is, is funny because they've already argued this point uh, in front of the uh, I, I think it was the appellate court judges. And at some point, one of the judges was like, yeah, but that's sort of the point. Are you trying to tell <laughs> me that Clinton v. Jones wasn't harassing the president, you know, like they sort of brought up the whole case, like one of the, you know, one of the cases that sets precedent for this kind of thing. And that was already, I thought, shot down as an argument. But tell me about the overbroad thing, because generally when you talk about overbroad, it's because it's burdensome. But I don't I didn't see that really in here because he, he we know he lost that argument because you can't say somebody else's job is burdensome because this is Mazar's that has to hand something over. But what about the overbroad argument? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, think, I mean, that that to me is, is the defining feature of this whole case, which is that these arguments might hold a little bit more water if it was Trump himself who had to comply with the subpoenas. That's not what this case is, right? This case is Trump trying to prevent 
Mazars and you know anybody else from complying with these subpoenas. So the overbreath analysis, I think, is mostly a rehash of what was already argued the first time around. It's just that, you know, as we talked about when it came down, the Supreme Court's decision in the Vance case left room for Trump to make these arguments anyway. I mean, it seemed to be part of the deal between Chief Justice Roberts and the more progressive justices was to leave some room for Trump to try these claims again. But, you know, all that's all that's to say, I think, you know, these are going to be rejected pretty quickly. Um, And it's really more a question of whether um, the president is able to get a stay either from the Second Circuit or from the Supreme Court, because I think he's going to lose. Um, And I think the question is just, you know, when does he lose and what is the effect of the loss? Right. What would this stay be for? A pending appeal again back up to I mean, I'm assuming he's going to try to take this all the way back up to the Supreme Court. Yes, I think that would be the idea. A stay pending appeal and or an injunction pending appeal to prevent Mazars from complying with the subpoena. Um, And, you know, this is I mean, this was always, I think, going to be the end game once we read the Supreme Court decision, which is what's really going to matter here is how the courts vote on these stay applications, because one way or the other, Trump is eventually going to lose this case and Vance is eventually going to get all or at least most of what he has subpoenaed for the grand jury. I think from the perspective of the president, the goal is just to have that be after the election. Mm. And that's where the stay piece of this comes in, because, you know, if if Trump loses in the district court pretty soon, whether he has to comply before the election or after really will depend upon whether the district court's ruling is allowed to go into effect or gets put on hold pending this appeal. So I have a question uh, just about Vance's timing here, because I know that there was a statute of limitations consideration because there's a difference between felony fraud and misdemeanor fraud. Uh, in the statute of limitations. And that's sort of why he was trying to get this decision quickly. We're way past that now. Is there any way he can toll that because it took so long through the courts? Or is it just too bad, so sad? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he'll probably try to argue for tolling. But I think it's a stretch. I mean, I think part of the, you know, part of the issue here is that the president, I think, is going to be successful in running out the clock on that, even if he's not ultimately successful in running out the clock on complying with the subpoena or having, you know, Mazars comply with the subpoena before the election. But, um, you know, I think all of this is just why the one thing I wish the Supreme Court had done, you know, a couple of weeks ago when it ruled in in this case um, was not leave open this window for the president, because I think it was clear to just about everybody that this was not a serious um, issue, that, this was, that, that the president was not going to have significant substantive claims on remand. I think the court was just trying to get out of there. Um, but so now, you know, the, the question is not if the president's going to lose. The question is when. Yeah. And this filing sort of proves our assertion that his only tactic was delay. He didn't have a serious argument. Yep. And uh, and it's a shame that somebody with money and standing and, you know, political sway like this can delay and delay and delay past statute of limitations that free them from being uh, implicated in crimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible that there's, you know, already a sealed indictment that we don't know about. It's possible that, you know, the district attorney has other ideas for how to get around the statute of limitations issue. Maybe there are other offenses or, you know, ways of, of getting a sort of backdating things. But, you know, th- this is always, I think, AG, a much bigger story about our litigation system, which mm-hmm. is that one of the things that money buys you is the ability to stretch things out. Um, And so, you know, litigation in this context inevitably tilts toward parties with greater resources, not because they have better lawyers, not because they have better arguments, but just because they have more ability to run out the clock.
Yeah, and if you have those resources because you fucking stole them, then you're a criminal. All right, well, anyway, I apologize for that. I'm so glad you came on. I tell everyone where they can find you and follow you for all of your uh, law updates. Well, as you said, I co-host the National Security Law Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Steve underscore Vladek, uh, and my day job is teaching at the University of Texas. Wonderful. Maybe I'll be a student of yours one day. Thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, AG. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back after this break with the Good News Block. Stay with us. Hello, Daily Beans listeners. It's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. These days, it's critical to focus on health and safety, uh, to not only focus on nutrition and eating healthy to boost our immune systems, but to use safe practices to help protect those around us. And if you're like me, and you're trying to eat healthy, but also looking to keep socially distant and avoid the crowds at the grocery stores, I really recommend Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door, and it's perfect and tasty, and it's a great solution for these times. And Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. And they make it easy and convenient because everything is pre-portioned, ready to prep and cook, so you don't have to spend a bunch of time in the kitchen to get stuff ready. You can enjoy a, a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes. And that's true no matter how good you are in the kitchen, which is great for me because I suck in the kitchen. But it, this, these come out perfect each time. And each week, they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from, so you can try stuff like croissant steak strip lettuce cups with pickled daikon and carrots. I love that's my new favorite right now. They have black bean tostadas Diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole, or roasted salmon with miso glazed eggplant that's always delicious and you can order from any recipes across their menu skip a week if you need to or double up on your favorites and Sunbasket facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety which is really important to us at daily beans they reinforce their strict adherence to operating procedures and they've increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their family of employees and right now Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash daily beans and enter promo code daily beans at checkout so Sunbasket basket.com slash daily beans and you need to enter promo code daily beans at checkout you'll get $35 off your order again that's sunbasket.com slash daily beans and don't forget to enter promo code daily beans hey everybody welcome back it's time for the good news And with me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Hello. 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 We need the good news today. We really, really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before we kick it off, I got a couple of cool things to tell you about. First of all, I, I alluded to it earlier in the headlines from Under the Radar, but fat, they made a, 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 a baseball ca- a card company, made a baseball card of Fauci throwing out the first pitch, and it is the top-selling baseball card from that company of all time. So hell yeah, haha, Trump. That's cool. Isn't that neat? Yeah, that is very neat. <laughs> I'm gonna believe that it was a well-established company and it wasn't like some some 12 year old kid working out of his basement or something. <laughs> right, like Bob's baseball cards or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best I don't know if it was Tops or not. Yeah. <laughs> Tops is the only baseball card co- baseball card company that I know. I don't know if it was that one or not, but anyway, top selling baseball card from that company of all time, and I know that that pisses Trump off because he keeps yeah. going after Fauci. <laughs> um, and uh, Maya Wiley is eyeing a run for the mayor of New York City. Our friend, yes, isn't that amazing? Oh. I'm totally gonna do whatever I can, Maya. If you need anyone to work on your campaign, like with veterans issues or something, you know, you need to take care of the VA going on in New York. I know they got you know a lot of stuff going on. You know, hey, let me know. I'm there for you. I'm so excited about this. So, 
I just love that we've had all these past podcast guests that are now running for office and a lot of them are winning. So that's fantastic. Yes. So fantastic. Hell yeah. And now a little quick, a tiny bit of schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude today, Don Jr.'s Twitter account was temporarily taken down uh, because he retweeted a propaganda video from a doctor, quote unquote, who's also a minister who thinks that uh, I'm having sex with demons and that's what's making me sick. Um, But anyway, these doctors say hydroxychloroquine, she's cured over... Uh, 350 cases of hydroxychloroquine, uh, using hydroxychloroquine of, of, of coronavirus. And, and I've looked at some of her tweets and she says, don't listen to those doctors. Those are double-blinded studies. And that should give you a hint right there. There's no such thing as a double-blinded study. It's a double-blind study. And those are actually ones that you trust more because neither the uh, stu- you know, the coordinator or the person giving out the drugs knows which ones are placebos and which ones aren't. Anyway, she's a fucking idiot and uh and now that it made it around the world on the internet and uh don jr shared it and it was taken down and he was uh, temporarily suspended from twitter and it was all that was well with the world for about you know six hours yes that's it that's the only uh that's that's the longest length of respite we're gonna get i feel until november 3rd mm. yeah i think you're right increments of six hours of relief and that's Unless unless Trump gets suspended for something, which would be fun. God, yes, it would. Ah, love that. All right, you want to start us off with the uh, listener good news? I would love to. First up from Maria Smalley, pronoun she, her. Maria says, Hi, Beans Ladies. I'm a longtime listener. been here since 2017. Thank you for all your hard work that has Woo! enabled me. <laughs> yeah. Th- thank you for all your hard work that has enabled me to not only enjoy hours of commute every week for work, but also armed me to argue and be backed up with facts and science. This past new year, I made a goal for myself to finally take a dive and become involved in my local politics. I'm now an active member of my countywide Young Democrats group and the County Democratic Party. Hell yes, that is so rad, Mernia. Uh, I also have been volunteering since February for a local state legislator race for a progressive community activist single mom of color. I'm now wrapping up my first month as a paid campaign staffer. Yay! Wow, this is so cool. The pay isn't enough for me to quit my day job as a hospice aide, but I am hoping to find more opportunities after this election. Listening to you ladies for these last few years helped inspire me to follow my true passion in politics. I don't know if it is allowed, but if I'm allowed to plug myself in the campaign I represent, absolutely. Just want to say that for anybody that wants to send in similar good news because we love to hear it. You can 100% plug yourself in the campaign. Uh, Maria says, my candidate's name is Colby Cole, and she that's spelled K-O-L-B-E, last name C-O-L-E, and she is running for Pennsylvania District 10. We are facing the Trump-worshipping Republican incumbent who led the reopen rally in Pennsylvania during the shutdown. Ugh. He is awful for Mm. several reasons, and we are in a desperately gerrymandered district. If anyone is interested in helping out, look Colby up on Facebook or Twitter, even if only for a like and follow. I would be okay with anybody reaching out to me personally if they are interested in phone banking slash volunteering. P.S. Jordan, please give new pod puppy a belly rub for me. Aw, I will. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's right, Coco. Maria gives you a belly rub, yes. Much You go, Glenn Coco. (laughs) Yeah. One of the reasons I named her Coco. (laughs) <laughs> Excellent. So it I works can on uh, so many obs- obscurely imply that her first name has actually been Glenn the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> 
And none for Gretchen Wieners. Uh, all right. Next up from Anonymous. Uh, I have done a lot of voter registration in Palm Beach County. So try to keep uh, trying to keep up to date with news about it. Uh, I was recently con- it was recently confirmed that Democrats have a 500,000 person margin above Republicans in signing up for vote by mail. That is huge. In 2018, the Republicans were ahead by about 9000 uh, in Florida and margins in Florida are really tight. So an advantage like this could be a real sign that Biden will win here in Palm Beach County. Hugely good news. That is so good. Good news. God, I am so ready yes, to get him elected. Fuck. Jesus. Uh, All right. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. Next up from Danielle. Danielle says, I have social anxiety, especially when it comes uh, to over the phone. So instead of phone banking to get out the vote, I decided to text bank for next gen and I ended up sending over 1,200 texts to people to get out the vote by mail in Florida. I adopted Florida for this election since I used to live there and now I want to do more. Well, it worked because Anonymous just said (laughs) for vote by mail, they have a massive margin yeah. of voters registered <laughs> yeah. yeah so these go to these go together yes that's so true well i love that yeah phone baking can be hell awkward i will say for those of you that are on the cusp or you think you might be down to try it it, it can and texting too both of them doing any of that stuff i'll you'd be surprised how many profound kind of conversations or experiences you wind up having with folks over the phone whether it's texting or actually talking to them and i am um, proud to know our listeners that they're doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good job. Good job in Florida. So, so good job. I know. Next up, um, from Anonymous, um, she, her. Anonymous says, a few days ago, six East Asian women who had not previously known each other found themselves united in a common cause, stopping the depiction of Asians in COVID-19-related media and the harm the harms that it does. The campaign, We Are Not a Virus, has now gathered over 5,000 signatures uh, on an online petition and has been brought to Parliament in the UK. But it can always do better, so I'm writing to the Bean family to ask for supporting a cause, though although it has been focused in UK media, it's very much an issue globally. Thank you for all that you do and the smiles that you bring to our faces. I joined my first online hangout last week. Y'all are hella cute. I may or may not have a crush on Jordan. Shrugs. You can sign the petition here. We'll include that in the newsletter and also check out hashtag we are not a virus um, to support that cause. We're, maybe we can um, share that link or tweet it out. Or I guess if you just Google. Yeah. Yeah. If you just Google change.org, uh, stop depicting East Asians and coronavirus related media, you can find that too. But yeah, that's that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also, hell yeah. I accept all the crushes. <laughs> Um, next up from Anne pronoun she her Anne says I'm a retired teacher of almost 30 years a few years after I retired my husband also retired we love each other dearly but had not planned for being together 100% of the time and then it's that emoji that has wide eyes and blushy cheeks Uh, (laughs) I am sure some of your (laughs) listeners know what I'm talking about due to COVID-19 I adapted to this new reality by getting out of the house for a little me time every day After the orange goon, that's a great word, goon, (laughs) was elected president, I became involved in politics for the first time in my life by writing postcards for different special elections. Some days I would write postcards at a park, some days I would write postcards at libraries, some days I would write postcards at the local campus. Writing postcards 
helped me to feel less helpless and hopeless about the state of our country. Little did I know how much I would personally get from writing these cards each week. Initially, I wrote for several special elections. I was jubilant when Doug Jones beat Roy Moore. I wrote at least 50 postcards for Doug Jones. I was disappointed when John Ossoff lost in Georgia, but felt good that Georgia turned a little less red. I wrote tons of cards for Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania and felt such pride when he won. Uh, I forgot how good that felt when that happened. That was freaking sick. Uh, as time went on, mm-hmm. there were fewer big special elections, but lots of opportunities to continue writing. I wrote for city council and other local candidates in states all over the country. I learned so much about the issues outside of my state. With each election, I felt a deeper sense of connection with my fellow citizens from around the country. I felt the united part in the United States of America. The last election I worked on was for Jill Karofsky in Wisconsin. I never would have known how important this election was without writing postcards. Little did I know she was running for a state Supreme Court position in totally gerrymandered Wisconsin. The Supreme Court was held by Republicans. If the upcoming presidential election is close in Wisconsin, this Supreme Court will make the decisions. Remember the hanging chads in Florida? This seat was really needed to flip the court blue. Needless to say, I was beyond elated when Judge Karofsky unexpectedly beat the Republican numbskull. I live in Arizona, and as AG knows, the summers are brutal. We are in the thick of it here, heat and COVID-19. I have been a bit down and uninspired during being cooped up all the time and not even being able to sit in my car at the park. Your segment last week about self-care struck a chord with me. It motivated me to make a section of my guest room a space just for me. Every day I go in there for an hour and do whatever my soul needs. Read, listen to music, work on less than professional crafty crap, and always write postcards. On days 45 or his minions do something stupid, I whip out even more postcards. Due to his excessive stupidness, I will probably get carpal tunnel. Today I am writing in honor of Rep. John Lewis. I am writing to encourage Florida voters to sign up for vote by mail. Writing these cards diminishes my sense of powerlessness, and it helps fund the post office. Bonus! Did Jordan just say, fuck yeah? <laughs> no, but I think I said it before at some point. said it in your heart. You screamed yeah. in your heart. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I encourage your listeners to find something to help with the election. I was a poll worker in the 2016 election. I can't do it this election due to an autoimmune disorder. They called me a dozen times for the primary, begging me to help, so I know there is a need there. Also, if you are interested in writing postcards, you can email and find out more here. Uh, the email is join at TonyTheDemocrat.com. That's spelled uh, T-O-N-Y. Join at TonyTheDemocrat.com. Thanks for all you lovable, laughable ladies do. You are so appreciated, Anne. Thank you, Anne. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're welcome, Anne. That was freaking wonderful. I love all of that. Can I piggyback off of that postcard uh, loveliness and share something that our patron Bridget Eileen had posted in the Daily Beans? So, Grace, she is the teenager that was put in detention during COVID in Michigan because she didn't do her homework. Uh, People are asking for people to send her letters of support and to let her know that, you know, we care and just following up with her and sending her love. And Bridget had posted this in the group, so I wanted to share it. It's a tweet by Brittany Cooper, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y space C-O-O-P-E-R, at Professor Crunk is her handle. So if you go and you find this tweet, uh, it says the address that you can send letters. And the tweet says, Justice for Grace, 
28211 Southfield Road, Lathrop Village, Michigan. Did y'all send your letters yet? Mine is in the mail. Let's care for living black girls, even as we sustain our rage for ones who have been killed. Hashtag free grace. So I just wanted to piggyback off of that wonderful good news submission. And uh, thank you, Bridget, for that, too. Yeah. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Anne. We appreciate, um, gosh, all the work you guys are doing. It's incredible. I like halfway through this bar testimony today, I was just getting ready to turn it off and be like, I, we got to focus on the election. Fuck this guy. Um, and uh, I mean, in fact, I have my friend Heike is working on a needlepoint for me uh, that just says, fuck those dudes, which just sort of applies to the whole administration. And I'm <laughs> yeah. looking forward to receiving that. Uh, and our final piece of good news from anonymous pronouns he him this good news is for ag and everyone at the daily beans in your excellent interview with mary trump you mentioned your own imposter syndrome our country has been in existential threat has been in existential threat since 2016 if it is to be saved it will be by those who kept our eyes open who focused on the truth in a world of lies by helping all of us understand and contextualize that truth the free press may prove to be the one institution that saves the country as other institutions fail here your work has been nothing short of heroic even as your own government targeted you for retaliation the good news is you're no imposter you're a national treasure oh my god shut up <laughs> Ah, so sweet, so true. It's really one of those. It's really one of those symbiotic relations. Is that it? Symbiotic relationships. Well, you know, like the little birds Don't on ask the hippo me about butts. Words. In, no, the, just kidding. Yeah, I think that so. Eat the... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask you how to pronounce it. I just no, you know the little birds that eat the thing off the butt, and and the the hippo wins, and the bird wins, and everybody wins. It's like I. I get a sense of control over this chaos by diving into the news and obsessively researching it and then breaking it down into tiny chunks and y'all get uh you know that i've heard it time and again that it keeps people sane and and it's a it's a it's a public service uh but it helps me out as much as it helps you and to also have created this community it's like the the entirety um the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and and so y'all do for me what you say that i do for you so i i have to say it works both ways i'm the little birdie eating bugs off your hippo butt (laughs) beautiful love that image it's so Mm. true that was a beautiful good news segment today it was and my really eloquent ending about butts i think really kind of summed it up in a nice hey you know I won't put this label on myself per se, but I do think but I do think that anybody that can do butt humor and is a smart person and can marry the two, intelligence and asses, they are just really one for the ages. <laughs> intelligence <laughs> and asses is yes. the name of the episode. <laughs> Asses. Every, you know, every once in a while I wonder, like, because we have former FBI directors and former U.S. attorneys and state and federal prosecutors and, you know, professors of law. And, and I always wonder if our, you know, if our if our episode titles like freak them out, like, uh, you know, intelligence and asses featuring Steve Vladek. And, and I wonder <laughs> if Steve's like, am I the ass or am I the smart one? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do they know? It's just some stupid shit Jordan said. <laughs> <laughs> like um what was it the other day something about butts and toilets or s- something uh about toilets oh uh, freedom toilets ah uh, yes right yes, and uh, yes, yes. I, and and it was featuring somebody very prominent 
um, and I, I can't remember who who was on the Freedom Toilets episode, but I I was like, oh, your name is right next to Freedom Toilets. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> thanks for being on our show. Uh, but you know, people they they keep coming back, so I guess it's I guess it's all right. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Ah, mm. uh, so, do you have any final final thoughts? Um, no, I don't. Not 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 nope. Nope. Well, hug the hug the pod dog for us. I Everybody will. else, I we'll, will. we'll we'll be back tomorrow. Just a quick reminder: we are going on vacation August twenty third through the twenty eighth. That week of August twenty fourth through the twenty eighth, and um, you know we we will put out content. You will get stuff. Uh, it just won't be us every day doing the news as it happens. Um, and uh, patrons, we got the Mary Trump book club coming up. Thanks to Stephen Isaac. And what else is happening? vacation book club if you haven't listened to the mary trump interview yet do it um we've gotten a lot of great feedback on that saying it's the definitive interview with her and uh i guess that's it so until tomorrow everyone please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of your mental health and take care of the planet i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and them's the beans the Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>